I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. All of us are always looking to maximize, optimize the health of our farm. Mm -hmm. How do we do that um, given... The, the climate that we're living in, the changes that we, we experience, and certainly the climate that we have here in northern Wisconsin is different from that which is enjoyed in Missouri mm-hmm. or down in Florida, out in California, uh, the dryness of New Mexico. Um, how do we each kind of deal with the farm that we've got in order to get the most out of it? Mm-hmm. And more and more thinking is about not just how do you extract the most from your farm, but how do you put the most back into it as well? Mm. In other words, how do you regenerate your Mm -hmm. farm? Well, we have on the line with us this morning someone who is quite expert at that and has been willing over the years to, to help share what he has learned with others about building and rebuilding the health of your soils of your farm. We have with us Gabe Brown from uh, just east of Bismarck, North Dakota. Gabe, how are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. Good to be with you this morning. Oh, thank you so much. And Gabe, we're, we're kind of chatting with you today in advance of a full-day workshop that is going to be presented here in Amory, Wisconsin on February 9th. It's a full day running from 8 in the morning until 6 in the evening about this very thing that you do, this approach that you have to farming. Gabe, how do you kind of summarize or how, how would you uh, encapsulate or describe what it is that you do? What I do is rather simple. I simply work with the parameters of nature to take advantage of how healthy ecosystems function. And I use nature's template to solve problems rather than treat the symptoms. You operate, maybe you can describe for us a little bit about your operation in North Dakota? Sure. My wife and I, along with our son Paul, we operate a 5,200-acre ranch, which consists of uh, growing cash grains. We grow everything from corn to peas to winter wheat to rye hairy vetch, oats, barley, sunflowers, many different cash crops, but the emphasis is on livestock. We raise grass-finished beef. Uh, We have about 300 uh, beef cows, and then we'll run between 400 and 800 uh, stockers and grass finishers. We have a flock of sheep. We raise pastured pork. We have 1,000 laying hens. Uh, We started an orchard, which consists of many different fruit and nut trees, and we have about 15 acres in vegetable production. And we do all of this just with our own labor, the three of us, and we do it in a way that 
that regenerates the resource. Uh, we bought this operation, my wife and I, in 1991, and we've converted it to a 100% no-till operation that really focuses on taking energy from sunlight and through growing plants, building up the carbon and, and the health in our soil, and that in turn provides us the nutrients we need to grow the crops and, and to raise the livestock. One of the things that many of our listeners may not understand really well, Gabe, is that you do things very differently from what a um, kind of industrially oriented farmer might do. Given the kind of operation that you've just described, how much equipment would, let's say, an industrially-minded farmer have, and how much fertilizer or herbicide would they use in order to achieve what it is that you're trying to achieve? Well, one of the things I think that's really lacking in production agriculture today is a knowledge of how healthy ecosystems function. And... I encourage people to look back and think in their own minds what their operation looked like hundreds of years ago, pre-European settlement. And I ask them, how did these ecosystems function without all the chemical and fertilizer and fungicides and pesticides that we use today? How is it we had flourishing ecosystems, whether it be native prairie of, or of diverse forested acres, there was nobody putting all those synthetic inputs on the land back then, yet those ecosystems flourished. And it was uh, because of how ecosystems function. In other words, sunlight's brought into a plant through photosynthesis. It's converted to what we call liquid carbon. That liquid carbon is pumped out through the roots, feeds uh, soil biology, and that soil biology in running its own life cycle, living its own life cycle, is what fed the plants. That's all I'm doing on our operations. So often in production agriculture today, there being in Wisconsin, I know there's a lot of corn growing and soybeans growing, but what happens after that? There's nothing growing. And they're also monocultures. Nature didn't function that way. Nature functioned with diversity. And we've taken that diversity away from the landscape that's caused a rapid decline in soil health. So to answer your question, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for producers to put on several hundred pounds of, of synthetic fertilizer per acre, plus spray it multiple times with herbicide, plus if needed spray with a pesticide and a fungicide. What we've found on our operation is that if we promote this healthy ecosystem, Nature takes care of those problems for us. And I'll give you an example. We have not used a pesticide since before the turn of the century. Hmm. Why is that? Well, for every one insect species that's a pest, there's approximately 1,700 species that are beneficial. So most producers are out there trying to spray to kill the pest. I would rather promote a healthy ecosystem for the 1,700 species that would take care of that pest. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's how nature functions. And we have to get back to let's solve problems rather than treat symptoms. And the problem is we no longer have a healthy functioning ecosystem. So we need to treat our farms and ranches as ecosystems 
for the benefit of all species, and that in turn will allow us greater profitability while regenerating the, fu- the resource so that future generations can be sustainable. You know, Gabe, um, as you've said and described all of this, an image comes to my mind. And that is, on the one hand, someone who sees a problem, pulls out a fly swatter, a hammer, a, you know, a spray bottle, and says, good, I got rid of that problem. The other image in my head is of that who, of someone kind of walking slowly through the landscape and understanding what's going on. So like that you're, you're, so yeah. that you're encouraging what would normally take place anyway. You're exactly right. When I do my day-long workshops, which I'll be doing there in Amory on the 9th, one of the slides I use is just that of, of a person's eyes. And my whole point is, as producers today, we've lost the power of observation. We so much want to farm and ranch by a recipe card. Mm. In other words, seed this type of stack trait seed and add this fertilizer and this, and then spray with a herbicide and we'll be able to combine X bushels. Instead of being able to read the soil, read the land, what's it trying to tell us? You know, if we have water ponding on a field, for example, What's that soil really trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us that there's an infiltration problem, and and we've destroyed soil, <coughs> excuse me, soil structure to the point that water's no longer able to infiltrate rainfall and move throughout the soil profile. So we have to be able to observe and then adjust our operation accordingly. Huh. It's almost as if um, we've gotten into a mindset of kind of farming by the numbers. Um, you know, let me, let me take a look at uh, this, is, this is problem number X, and here are the possible uh, responses to it. Um, pretty formulaic. Exactly. You you're, know, you're exactly right. One of the things that, it, that you make me think, kind of also think about uh, a phrase that comes to mind is understanding and working from where you are where each farm is is as you say it's it's, it's a sen- it's a place with its own uh, set of breezes in the afternoon and soil that kind of becomes uh, goes from a sandy to a, a silty loam, maybe to a clay, as it moves from one corner to the other. What does it take for someone to begin to um, have the discipline to take a look at their land differently this way? One of the things I ask producers to do is take a walk in a native ecosystem, whichever ecosystem most closely matches theirs. And then just observe. You know, for me out here on the Northern Plains, I, I'm fortunate we own 2,000 acres of, uh, of true native prairie that, to our knowledge, has never been mechanically tilled. Well, when I made my transformation to this type of a production model over 20 years ago, 
the first thing I did was walk out in that native prairie and observe. I observed how the diversity of plant species, animal species, insects, all this worked together. And I think that's what one has to do. We have to take the time to understand how these native ecosystems function and what makes them thrive. And once we understand, for instance, how soil functions, should function properly, this all becomes much, much easier. You were exactly right when you said you have to step back and observe. We just have to to go a little slower and realize that this is what it takes to build a healthy ecosystem. Now, once we do that, and it really doesn't take near as long to change as scientists once thought it did. You know, I have the good fortune I work uh, hundreds of operations all over North America and other foreign countries every year. And I've seen drastic changes occur in three to five years. Hmm. And when those changes do occur, it adds significantly to the profitability of an operation. So the beauty of it is we're able to cut back on our expenses while increasing profitability. And uh, many people say, yeah, but, it, you know, you're going to lose money making the change. No, you're not. It, it doesn't do any of us any good if you're not out on the farm. We're able to do this in a way that you can be profitable while going through this transition. One of the things that intrigues me, uh, Gabe, is the fact that you're doing this in Bismarck, North Dakota, all right? Because many of the, the, the ranchers that uh, Dave Corbett and I have chatted with over the last five, six, seven years have, ten, have uh, often been from uh, what I would consider gentler climates. You know, they're, they're down in Virginia or they're in the, that golden area of, of uh, Missouri somewhere um, where the snow never really falls, it seems, although they get plenty of really driving rain. Um, you're doing this in a fairly harsh climate, I would think. And you're doing it on a very large scale. Yet you're saying that you have been able to move from what would be considered, let's say, um, less sustainable methods to, to methods that are actually now rebuilding soil. So do, are, you, are you kind of saying that anybody can do it? I've had the good fortune. In the last five years, we've had visitors from all 50 states, every Canadian province, plus 21 foreign countries visit our ranch. I can honestly say without a doubt, zero doubt, that the practices that uh, the principles, I should say, that I'm explaining to people to regenerate landscapes can occur anywhere in the world where there's production agriculture. There's zero doubt in my mind. I just, I just returned from, uh, in November from a couple weeks in Australia. Uh, we visited some very, very harsh landscapes, and we visited... We were on some very tropical landscapes with well over 200 inches of precipitation a year. These principles will work anywhere in the world. Now, the tools you use may be a little different. You mm -hmm. know, some, 
Some areas you might want to graze beef cattle. Other areas you might want to use goats uh, as the livestock species. You know, the, the, the tools, and that's all livestock are, that's all a no-till drill is, that's all cover crops are, they're just tools to advance soil health, and they're a means to convert uh, solar energy into dollars. So the tools may be different, but the principles are going to be the same anywhere. I enjoyed listening to your conversation before I got on the line about your mild winter. We've had 68 inches of snow so far this winter, and our winter has averaged 16 degrees uh, below normal, our average high for the day. So we're having a very harsh winter Mm. this year. But in saying that, all of my livestock, with the exception of the the land hands, of course, are still out on the land. You know, uh, our cattle are out there bale grazing now. We, Because of the deep snow, we had to discontinue the grazing, but they are bale grazing out on the fields. They're not in confinement. So we're able to do these practices in a harsh environment that will still benefit the resource. You, you mentioned a couple of times the, the notion of some basic principles. Can you just tick those off when you're when you're in your approach sure there's five basic principles to advancing soil health and they are simply this the first is least amount of mechanical tillage possible we've been uh, no tilling on our operation since 1994 we we don't till whatsoever you know in nature you don't find tillage so that's one of the principles The second principle is armor on the soil surface at all times. By that, I mean residue, ground cover. You don't want bare soil. Bare soil leads to wind erosion, water erosion, uh, excess evaporation, and it's not going to feed macrobiology. Third principle is diversity. As I explained earlier, nature is very diverse in both plants, animals, and you can also include insects in there. The fourth principle is a living root in the ground as long as possible throughout the year. I mentioned the, the, that uh, most people in production agriculture grow monocultures. Once they harvest their cash crop, the land sits idle. I'll give you an example. Uh, I had neighbors that they seeded barley in uh, early April. They combined that barley the third week in July. From that third week in July up until we started getting snow uh, in mid-November, there was nothing growing. They Hmm. sprayed it multiple times with a herbicide to make sure nothing was growing. Hmm. What a waste. There was sunlight was not being collected. We were not pumping that carbon into the soil. If they would have grown a cover crop like I did, what an opportunity to collect sunlight. Also, you know, above every acre of land, there's approximately 34,000 tons of atmospheric nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Why would any producer want to write a check for synthetic nitrogen when it's available free? All you got to do is grow a legume, you know. So that's the fourth principle. The fifth principle is what I call animal integration, whether it be a a beef animal or, or sheep or hogs or even wildlife and insects. We need animals out on the land you know it's not uncommon today you can drive through the corn belts and you can drive for a hundred miles without seeing a fence Mm -hmm. you know we've removed the animals from the landscape 
That's not how a healthy ecosystem functions. I firmly believe we need to get animals out of the feedlots and out of confinement and back out on the landscape where they belong, and it will advance the health of our soils. So those are the five principles. And no matter where I've spoken all over the world, those principles are the same. The, the species, in other words, the tools you use might be a little different, but the principles are the same. Gabe, what put you into this direction? <laughs> That's a good question. My wife and I purchased this operation in 1991. We went no-till, as I said, in 1994. Then I had a series of four years in a row. 1995, we got hailed out 100%. 1996, we lost 100% of our crop to hail. 1997 was a drought. We dried out. 1998, we lost 80% of our crop to hail. So I tell people mm. the good Lord had to slap me four times before I finally realized that, hey, I need to do something different. And after the end of those four years, we were literally broke financially. I had to learn how am I going to get a crop produced and how am I going to get this soil to function without all these inputs. Mm. So it sent me down a path of learning about how ecosystems function, learning about holistic management. And I tell people, although those four years were extremely difficult to live through, they were the best thing that could have happened to my family and I because they sent us down this path. Now today, we're profitable every year regardless of price because we're, we, we direct market most everything we produce, so we set our own prices. We're not relying. We don't take part in any government program, not crop insurance, not EQIP, not CSP. I want to show people that this can be highly profitable without all the government subsidies, and we can regenerate our resources while doing so. Gabe, uh, let me interrupt you here and let me ask, if people want to find out more about your operation, where can they go? Well, they can check out our website, which is brownsranch.us, or they can attend one of the many workshops. You know, I'm excited to be in Amory on the 9th, and... My son's going to be with me. Usually both of us don't leave the farm at the same time, but we're going we're gonna to talk about all these things we're doing on our operation, use it as an example, and then my son's going to talk about transitioning the operation to the next generation and some of the things he sees and wants to do with our operation. Uh, it's it's uh, really enjoyable when we're able to do a workshop together so i encourage people to to attend that workshop oh thank you dave corbett what does this bring to mind i mean you've been in farming for four decades as i was uh, listening he touched briefly on something and that is direct marketing farm products mm -hmm. and uh when i picture north dakota i don't picture huge metropolis <laughs> to market, to direct market uh, livestock. How is that done up there? That, that is a great question, Dave. And it's really invigorated me. It was my son's idea. He wanted to, it all started when we realized that, the last figures we had anyway, about 14 cents of every food dollar goes to the farmer. The other 86 cents is, goes to someone else. Well, call me greedy if you want, but I want the 86 cents. Mm -hmm. I don't want the 14. 
so we realized that the way to generate the most profit is marketing directly to consumers. So what my son Paul has worked hard on doing, we, we actually had to build an abattoir. There's a group of us that got together and we built our own slaughter facility. And now uh, we, we slaughter there our beef animals, our sheep, our hogs. And then those products in turn are direct marketed in six different cities around North Dakota. We have an online uh, buying club where people can go online, they place an order. We have the time and date that we're going to be in a particular community, and it's a half-hour time slot people have. They, they order their products online, they pay online with a credit card. We deliver the product on such and such a date to that community. And that's the beauty of it. With only 650,000 people in North Dakota, all I have to do is find enough people who want to buy our products. And it has amazed us, the response that we've gotten. Uh, We now have over 1,000 customers in six different cities, and that's more than enough for my family and I to make a living off it. Wow. And that's what it's about. People... You don't have to market nationwide. You know, I know I've been to Wisconsin enough times to know there's enough population centers uh, close enough to any area of Wisconsin to be able to market whatever uh, products are growing on our particular uh, farm or ranch. And the beauty of it is it allows you then to expand. We got started just by selling eggs. Well, then, then once we got the avatar going, it was beef animals. Well, then you might as well have some pork. Then you might as well have some lamb. Well, then we might as well start into fruit and nuts and vegetables. And once you start, you know, establishing a customer base, it opens so many other enterprises that a person can have on their operation. Oh, thank you very much, Gabe. Was there anything else, Dave, here as we were wrapping up? Uh, no, other than are you, uh, you're going to cover the whole operation then at the workshop, everything from, from uh, growing uh, both uh, livestock and uh, crops to marketing? That's correct. I'll go through the history of our operation, the five principles of soil health. My son will get into how we graze all these different species of livestock in a symbiotic relationship. And then we'll get into the marketing and the stacked enterprises uh, of the operation and show people that there's great potential on any operation for adding income and stacking enterprises while regenerating their resources. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.